Hey, it's Andrew, and today on the show we have Jeremy Donovan, SVP of Revenue Strategy at SalesLoft. In this episode, Jeremy talks about his responsibilities as the SVP of Revenue Strategy at SalesLoft, what the word strategy means to him, and how he goes about implementing one. We also discussed how building free tools helps SalesLoft with lead gen, customer delight, and ultimately retention. And Jeremy then shared some ideas he and his sales team implemented throughout the years to boost retention. As usual, I'm excited to hear what you think of this episode, and if you have any feedback, I would love to hear from you. You can email me directly on andrew at churn.fm. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and enjoy the episode. Today's episode is sponsored by Avrio, a collaborative insights platform built directly into your workflow. With a browser extension and web app, Avrio provides a new way to capture and share data analysis, user research, and learnings directly in context with your team. From data dashboards, Google Slides, and Slack threads, to inside of apps and team members' heads, Avrio captures all of your insights and creates a single source of truth. Visit avrio.com to learn how you can maximize your team's collective knowledge with Avrio. How do you build a habit-forming product? You need to invest. And you saw these, these different... You don't just gun for revenue in the door. This is Churn.fm, the podcast for subscription economy pros. Each week, we hear how the world's fastest-growing companies are tackling churn and using retention to fuel their growth. How do you build a habit-forming product? We crossed over that magic threshold to negative churn. You need to invest in customer success. It always comes down to, to retention and engagement. Completely bootstrap, profitable, and growing. Strategies, tactics, and ideas brought together to help your business thrive in the subscription economy. I'm your host, Andrew Michael, and here's today's episode. Hey, Jeremy, welcome to the show. Thanks, Andrew. I'm, it's, I'm thrilled to be on because I've been listening to you on my walks as of late and love the show. Yeah, thanks so much. And uh, actually, Jeremy, uh, for the listeners, gave us an excellent piece of feedback uh, recently, which I hope is going to be a big improvement to the show. And really, was just the last question really asking about what would you do if you had 90 days to improve churn and retention? Changes to it now have made it a lot more tactical, and you should be hearing some interesting insights from uh, future guests uh, other than just speaking to customers and know your audience. So thanks a lot for that. My uh, pleasure. For the listeners as well, Jeremy is the SVP of sales strategy at SalesLoft, the leader in sales engagement platform that transformed the way sellers engage with their customers customers by delivering a better customer experience. Prior to SalesLoft, Jeremy was Group VP of Marketing at Gartner, CMO and SVP of Sales at American Management Association, and Head of Sales Strategy and Enablement at CB Insights. Outside of his day job, he's also an author of five books, including the international bestseller, How to Deliver a TED Talk. So my first question for you, Jeremy, is what is the SVP of Sales Strategy responsible for? Yeah, that's a, I'm asked that a decent amount because it's the title doesn't necessarily exist everywhere. So what I figured out over the course of my career is that I really like to be the right hand of the executive, interestingly enough. Like I guess at my age, I should, maybe I should be the executive, but I like to be the right hand. And in this case, it is the right hand of the chief revenue officer. So the idea is the CRO is often very focused on, oh, say the next three to six months. And they don't. They know what they need to get done. So maybe they need. To, we need to transform territory, or maybe we need to transform compensation, or maybe we need to transform something to do with customer retention. Whatever that happens to be, I have the lucky job of getting to work on the stuff that's six six months to eighteen months out that requires fast sort of facets of strategy, which would be changes to people, process, and technology. So that's the short version of it. My title is. A, I've kept that title as I've moved through different roles at SalesLoft. At any given time, I may be doing something else, but it's usually some sort of strategic project in the revenue side of the business. 
Yeah, I like that as well. Just having that ability to spend time thinking about future, uh, what's coming next, and then, like you said, having been the right uh, hand man to your chief revenue officer. I'm interested in the word strategy as well. Just uh, want to press on this a little bit to get your your feedback and opinion because it's definitely like a word that's thrown around a lot. So I think there's a book I love on the topic, which is Good Strategy, Bad Strategy. I'm not sure if you're familiar with it. I have but, read it. It's been a yeah. while, but yeah. But in your opinion, when it comes to putting together a strategy and what does this typically look like? Like, how are you working with the team to determine, like, what does the word mean to you? Yeah, maybe the best way is by way of example, I'm working with or coaching one of the other folks on our team who is trying to build a strategy around making sure that there's more disciplined process around deal inspection and forecasting. So when I was talking to her yesterday, we, you know, you basically start with what's the ultimate goal you're trying to achieve? And in this case, the, the goal is probably twofold. It's the ultimate goal is you want to hit your number. But the other thing is you actually want to forecast accurately because if you forecast too high, that's you will have missed, which is terrible. But it's also bad to forecast too low because then you would not, it, like if the market is hotter than you think it's going to, than you had planned for, you may not have enough sales or customer success capacity to actually serve. So the planning part is crit- critically important. So as we're talking through that, as I mentioned, I think a great, there are many strategy frameworks out there, but I think thinking about people, process, and technology is really important. People being the most important of the three, and but I'm going to actually save that for the last. Yes. Most people, when they think about strategy, they start with process, right? So in this context, what is the process by which deals should get inspected? Should they get inspected every deal every week, certain deals every week, certain deals every two weeks? Like what making that decision. And then within that, that's your rhythm or your cadence, if you will. But then within that, how, like, how do they get inspected? What framework do you use? Do you use medic? Do you use Bant? Do you use Anum? Do you use whatever? So there's all kinds of different frameworks that you can use. So that's the, those are just elements of the process side. Obviously it's a sort of longer, deeper topic on the, then the tech would be where most people go next, which is, okay, now I need to make sure that my CRM or my other tools support the collection of that data and analysis of that data in in a way that hopefully makes an impact or should make an impact on your ultimate goals. And then they get to the most important thing last, which is the people side. But I actually... In the course of my career, I found that's the hard part. The process stuff is easy. The tech stuff is easy. But if you get the process, the people thing wrong, if you, and if you fail to do the people thing, then the, then the, any strategic initiative will fall flat. So in this context, I have another sort of learning throughout the course of my career found that the success or failure of any initiative is far more tied to first-line management than it is to anything else. And if your first-line managers don't understand what you're trying to don't believe in what you're trying to do, don't feel invested in what you're trying to do, then it will fail. One, one of the things I was talking about with this, with my colleague was like you absolutely positively, yes, you need executives to be behind this and supportive of it, but you absolutely positively need to train the first line managers on the, on, on the process and the technology before you train the reps and make sure that they have their questions answered and that they're fully involved. It is, that is an example. Every strategic problem you work through has a different context and might require a different framework. And the good news is, again, there's tons of frameworks out there. Uh, we could probably do a whole episode on Absolutely strategy on frameworks. <laughs> and I, I'm very much a student of that. And, and part of that is because in one of my jobs, the entire leadership layer got replaced by former McKinsey partners and associates and senior yeah. associates. And uh, so I spent eight years learning from them the McKinsey way. 
So I, I can't claim to be a McKinsey consultant, but I actually think I know many of their strategy frameworks. Interesting. Yeah, we might have to call you back on an episode <laughs> to discuss it with Sibley. But obviously today, channel retention being the focus, and we're just chatting before the show, I think you obviously have a very unique background and perspective on the problem. Having worked in roles in like marketing, sales, even success and product you mentioned as well. Pretty much this is as well like one of the, the aims of the show is to speak to people from these different backgrounds and understand the different lenses from which they're coming from. So I want to maybe just see if we could, if there's time to touch on maybe something from each one of these areas that you've learned and you've seen over the years. And uh, maybe like you said, we can take a story and or a project that's been worked on. And let's start out with my marketing, because I think that's, uh, and your days at Gartner, from what I saw from going back uh, furthest on your LinkedIn profile. When it came to churn and retention, was anything unique that you did at the company from a marketing and perhaps product perspective or even company perspective that you want to share with us? I'm going to wind the clock back even maybe a little further than marketing. And I'll preface this by saying I have incredibly deep empathy for people who ultimately they're responsible for churn and retention, because by the time retention executive or a customer success professional actually has to renew, right? There, So much of the renewal is dependent on the product. So much of the renewal is dependent upon marketing. So much of the renewal is dependent on the expectations that were set during the selling process. If I think about my own personal journey through that, I'll actually start on the product side. I was an engineer as well, but I'll, I'll skip that. But on the product management and marketing side, I, I think they're one of the most fun parts of my job was when we were developing a new product. A lot of companies, even now, it, it blows my mind, like they develop things and they still then go look for the buyers. Even though the, what was it, Lean Startup book by Eric Reese has been out forever and ever, like oddly, so many companies don't actually follow that practice. And I mentioned I worked for these McKinsey folks for for years. And that was one of the things they, they, taught, they taught me was when you have a product concept, go out and interview and talk to existing customers, especially talk to prospective customers who, who aren't your customers today and design for, amongst other things, design for retention. I think that's critical is think about how is it going to be sticky? How are you going to meet their needs? So I think the sort of scope the product initially to be retention friendly, I think is incredibly important to, to ask yourself those questions as you go. The and then the, the the other piece is you asked about specific initiatives I, I worked on. One of the ones I worked on at Gartner, which kind of crosses all of these things, marketing product, sales, and CS was we were on a, a, a mission to to improve our retention. And this is like a decade, more than a decade ago, actually. And what we did was we did a, a statistical analysis to figure out what were the levers that drove retention. And it turned out like it's always, it's the obvious, which is engagement drives retention, right? Usage drives retention, but there's more subtlety than that. So what we found was there's basically a spectrum of usage, like profitability of usage. So at Gartner, someone reading a document is a zero variable cost to the company or close to zero variable cost. On the other end of the spectrum, we could, let's say, invite somebody to a conference and so there's a real cost to the conference. We could even pick them up with a limo, drive them to the airport, fly them out, pay for their hotel. So you could just sort of think of a, a very high cost of retention, but it might be, or very high cost initiative, but very, very, it would actually be very profit effective to do that. What we did was we figured out, okay, we're actually going to try the low variable cost stuff first. So get them to read a document. But then the question is when? So we broke down to figure out when it was most important for people to consume content. 
and we found out that it was most important for them to consume content in the in the last I think it was like 120 or 90, 90 or 120 days I can't remember what the it's been a while so I can't remember the number so that we took our this is important actually also because it's the organizational people change piece we we took a group of people who were like they were like sales support people and we transformed them into into usage, the, the, ter- the terminology was different, but basically usage drivers, that their entire job was to drive usage. Like today we would call those people customer success professionals, but they were just, that was a hundred percent of what they did. And then once we had done that for everyone, we figured out, okay, what are the other time periods? It turns out that the beginning, right? Consuming in the very, very beginning is important. So that was the next place we went after. And then once we had everybody reading and consuming content, then we had to start to go to the higher cost both to us and to them deeper involvement things and work that up and work that through so just being very strategic about what to do when by whom we rather rapidly increased retention by like 10 to 15 points so those are the sort of things that that matter but again it's like the combination of getting back to what we talked about before it's like people process and technology all three of those elements have to work had to come together Yeah, and it came across like different parts of the organization as well, for sure, for this to pull through. It's also interesting that you're talking about like the time frame and the timing itself. One of the early episodes of the show, we interviewed Sean Klaus, who was the ex-VP uh, of growth at Atlassian and obviously a few other companies. But one of the most interesting things I think on that show was the biggest indicator that Atlassian found retention was actually the amount of time spent in the first session of the user. The more that first session increased, the more likely they were to retain. And out of all the research, all the analysis, like everything they looked into, this had come down to the single biggest deciding factor. And obviously, you don't want to keep them in there for as long as possible and waste their time. But what that really meant was like if they were spending a big amount of time was that they were getting set up, they were starting uh, different features or services. And so it's very interesting taking this viewpoint as well early on. Uh, Get people off on a good start. It makes perfect sense to me. Some people argue like, and I have a, a stats background, so some people argue correlation and causation that maybe those customers who were the best customers were more likely to spend more time. But my answer to that is, is like, I don't really care. I do, I care whether it's a cause or not, but if it's some data is better than no data. And if that's the thing, then go for it. And I'm with you on the, don't force them on to a long uh, time. It makes me rethink, and I don't know if you guys have talked about this on the call, but one of the things I remember learning about is the service recovery paradox. Have you guys ever talked about that on the podcast? No, no. Uh, So this will be familiar, hopefully familiar, and maybe the terminology isn't, but the service recovery paradox is oddly customers who have problems and call for tech support renew at higher rates than those who never have problems to begin with. We have talked (laughs) about this, but not uh, in that terminology. In in the academic terminology context. Yeah. So the, like the, the dastardly version of that is you create a problem for customers so that you can solve it and get them to renew. That's just silly, obviously. Yeah. But it, but it, it's it does. It's like hiding the cancel button. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you, the, but it, what it does tell you is it says those customers who have never complained are high risk. So that's a strategy also is go find those people and someone who hasn't had a question or a support ticket or whatever in a period of time, you got to go find those people and talk to them. 
I love this point as well because it's it's almost counterintuitive to most people's like general thought processes as well. It's just I think as well where typically when people hear the word churn, the most immediate response is to go and see. Let me go speak to people who have left and see how I can stop them from leaving. When you actually understand the problem better, like it's really all about making sure you activate and onboard them, and uh, that's where you see the biggest difference. So it's it's one of these counterintuitive thoughts, but actually like it tends to be uh, a bigger issue if people aren't reaching out to you rather than if they are solving problems you had a great tip by the i was uh, one of the recent shows i can't remember which episode it was and uh, who the guest was you'll probably remember better than me but you were talking about like win-loss interviews and so often people go and talk to the ones that they've lost and your guest said actually what you want to do is you want to do stay interviews and you want it when you do the stay interview you ask them what what happened that almost made you not renew? I think yeah. that's a killer question. I've never done it before, but I think that's exactly the right one to do. It's great. This is actually one that came from my days at Hotjar. It's actually, I think, probably originated from conversion rate experts. Uh, if you're familiar with the company, they're um, amazing at conversion rate optimization. They've worked with companies like Apple and Google and others. And uh, really, that's like one of the questions because they just realized is uh, getting feedback from the right people is critical. And maybe you don't necessarily want to be getting tons of feedback from people mm. that just quit your product because it might not have been a good fit. But the ones that might have just nearly not quit uh, on you, but they decided to renew, like that's great feedback. Yeah, I love that. So let's move forward again a little bit. Past Gartner now, like you ended up working on a great like, cross-functional initiative, retention across the board increases as a result of this. Um, let's talk about maybe an experience now closer to Sales Loft today. And uh, is there anything that you've been working on with your team to try and increase retention in the company, either from the sales side or with one of the teams? In the- uh, yeah, there's a bunch of things, but I have a fun recent one. In addition to my sales strategy job, like I do a bunch of other things. One of them is I was given a little bucket of money to build fun, cool stuff to give away for free. And a lot of times the, we start out internally as with ourselves as alpha customers, and then we, we go out from there. Sometimes we build things also just internally that, we, that never go out there. So one of them that we built recently was our CSMs, our, our customer success managers, were spending tremendous amounts of time building QBR decks, quarterly business review decks for their customers. I think they would spend like 10 hours, up to 10 hours, some of them shorter, but some of them more on these QBR decks. And and much of the work was going into, was going into our BI tool. We use Looker and they would go into the dashboard. They would export the data, copy, paste, format the charts, all that. And some were proficient in Google Slides, some not so proficient. So it would take tremendous amounts of time. One of our, one of our CSMs built a Google Sheet and a Google Slide that sort of talked to each other. And the CSM started to use that. They were still copying and pasting. And I found out about it. I'm like, hey, like we're in the API world now. This is a solvable problem. So we did a, a two-week sprint. And now the CSMs just enter in a, a customer name. And Google scripting is slow. So two minutes later, so I wish it was like 10 seconds later, but two minutes later, a fully populated value review deck pops out for them. I don't know if we'll ever commercialize. I shouldn't say commercialize that because it's actually give it away for free. Uh, so I don't know if we'll ever put it out in the outside world, but it's been it's been a fun project. And they went from 10 hours to, to basically two minutes to create these decks. I did stumble upon, or I should say our head of customer success stumbled upon a commercial solution for this because I would have gone with a commercial solution even more than do a two-week two sprint because there's other things. It's an yeah. opportunity cost. 
And if there's a great commercial solution out there, I'd rather buy that. So there is, there appears to be a, a pretty cool one called Matic, M-A-T-I-K. That is basically a QBR generator. If you know of any others, I'm, I'm interested, but they seem to be a really nice tool for that. Yeah, I haven't specifically heard for QBR services, but obviously there's a lot of different ways on the show we've discussed QBRs and bringing to the information and insights to your customers. So I'm interested, this is something you work with. It actually sounds like a super fun job just to have a bucket of money to build stuff for free for customers. Like I think it's like either as lead magnets or adding additional value, like uh, having add-on services that you can provide just help enable your product to be more sticky and more top of mind when you want to be remembered for things. The, the answer is yes. So- so yes, it is a lead magnet. We've had over, in the, we've been doing this for about six six months, and we've had over two hundred thousand uses of these free tools in the last six months. Wow. I think we just crossed two hundred ten thousand. The so yeah, it's, it is definitely a lead magnet, but it, it's also because we know who's using, right? It's also we have a lot of customers, obviously, who who use as well, yeah. and there are things that. They're complementary to, to Salesloft, but they're independent. So for example, we have a subject line grader and everything is named very in a silly way. It's literally subjectlinegrader.com. So you just go in there, you type a subject line and it uses data science to figure out what is whether that's a good subject line or not. We have emailgrader.com, same thing. We have cadencebuilder.com, which builds cadences. We have, find. this one has a dash in it. So find-business-email.com to help you find email addresses. So we have, we now have, I think, six of these, six of these out there. So yeah, the, that, that is a fun thing. And then, as I said, there's the remit is absolutely lead gen. The remit is absolutely customer delight. And then the remit is absolutely intern, internal tool building. We, we do have an internal engineering team that's separate but they're pretty like they're backlogged and the things that I tend to work on are things that require like a deep, deeper domain expertise. I can, I can build, usually I can build and I code also. I do a lot of the backend work because I have the domain expertise and the coding. I can often do a, a very quick and dirty version in two weeks. Yeah. Where, whereas it would take the engineering team longer. They're also building something admittedly a thousand times more robust. Like yeah. my, my stuff breaks, but it's going to work. It'll work. It'll, we'll get it fa- fast and it'll work well for a little while. Yeah. Like I'm a big fan uh, of this notion as well. Actually, when my previous company started out as just like uh, adding value where we initially started building an ad size guide back in five, six years ago, ad sizes kept on changing across the board. And all we did was just put up like a simple web that gave you different ad sizes for different ad networks and social channels and stuff. And that site just blew up to the extent that it was driving 5,000 signups roughly a month, I think, for the product we ended up building. So we're just thinking then after, okay, what can we build on top of this now? So it actually started out as like one of these free tools that became a product and a company. Uh, I'm a big fan of it. Actually reminded me of the story as well of Zillow and thinking a little bit about the problem of frequency. So if you're trying to increase retention for your product and you don't really have a good frequency of usage where it's a product where people want to will be using regularly or daily or monthly to build a habit out of it i think zillow did a really interesting thing with their free service which was like the home home valuator i think similarly built a tool to give away so they realized okay like People aren't buying houses every day, but we want them to think of us the next time they buy the next house. If they come through Zillow and they buy a house with us, they can also register it and then get updates if the valuation is changing over time. So that way they found a lot of repeat business and uh, like returning uh, visitors because they were able to say, okay, like our product doesn't build a habit, but we can find something that is going to build a habit and people are curious about the valuation of their house. It's an investment. They want to see it go up. And I think just things like this are really smart where you can tie the value in with your product. They can help increase certain aspects of retention or acquisition and 
I'm a huge fan. Uh, I, I love the I, that added idea of it notifies you of updates. I was thinking about HubSpot has this thing called, it's like a website grader. They've had it for years and years. Yeah. And it, it's super high value, but it's effectively one-time use. Yes. But, uh, but th- there's no reason why, and that's maybe there if, if, if they're listening, <laughs> there's no reason why they couldn't then subsequently update you every month or every quarter by running your company through their engine again. Yeah. So yeah, I think that's a brilliant, Sending an update. Brilliant uh, yeah. This is yeah for sure. Nice HubSpot, if you're listening. Cool. We talked a little bit about like a company-wide initiative. Now this sounds more from your perspective. Like I don't even know where you would put this. It's very narrow. You know, it's very narrow. Yeah. But I'm interested as well now quickly to just touch on a little bit, obviously, on the sales side of things as well. So we talked about this, I think, either during so briefly before was that. Uh, when it comes to trend and retention, there's just so many different aspects that have influence and it could be really like your marketing's doing a bad job of pulling in the right customers or they're overselling the product. Sales, similarly as well, selling to the wrong audience. And I'm interested when it comes to sales specifically, is there any area or is something interesting that you and your sales teams in the past have discovered that helped increase uh, retention? Maybe a specific problem that the team was doing or a specific change to process that you introduced? Yeah, ooh, a bunch of them over time. Some of my favorites, one of my favorites was actually, and most companies have this problem with the like the sales to CS handoff. So at one of the companies we built effectively, it was a we built within it was within Salesforce. It was within the CRM. We built like this section that was all of the critical information that the CS, the customer success team, needed in order to have a smooth transition without having to ask the customer like the same set of questions again. And in that case. It's um, the worst experience. It, yeah, and so we needed we needed a stick because there wasn't the, the AEs wouldn't otherwise fill that out. Like they're moving as fast as they can. Once they're done, they're notoriously done. So in this case, they couldn't actually close close the deal without having filled out the required fields in those sections. The AEs didn't love it, but it was way better from a customer experience point of view. So I think that's one thing. Another thing is maybe this is obvious: is think about the timing of when you pull the CS or implementation person into the, so often they don't get pulled in until after the close, but one of the best practices is to pull them in when it depends on how you forecast, but let's say you have a, I don't know, probable best case commit to your traditional forecast categories. I think a good trigger is if the deal moves to commit, then a CSM or implementation person gets pulled in with an intro. That should be a required thing to make sure that it's a super smooth and form transition. Oh, probably, there are probably others as well, but those are, I'm all about That's tactical, actionable advice, but those are two good ones. Yeah, no, I, I think that is great. And I think the handover process is definitely for me, like it's a pain point as a previous like buyer of software and having to repeat yourself again, I always found it really redundant. And then at some point I just wouldn't want to speak to the company because <laughs> I knew, okay, it's a new rep. I would need to speak to the new rep again, give them context, like, and you would think to yourself, don't you have a good CRM? Isn't people taking notes? And I can see to your point as well, like sales just want to close deals. They want to get back to the next one. And they're just maybe putting a little bit of a roadblock for them to get there really helps like improve the experience overall. Yeah. But- I, I did have one other quick one, sorry, which is I've done a lot of work on account scoring. Yeah. And a lot of people, there's different levels of maturity of how people do account scoring. The most basic, well, I guess the most basic thing is you don't score accounts, but the, <laughs> the, the, if you are scoring, the most basic thing is just put your finger in the air and say, Hey, like our ICP kind of looks like this. Let's give 10 points for this and 15 points for that. I think that's yeah. a, it's often good, good enough, but what, what, 
what's important, I think, also in those models is actually to have a retention factor, right? So you, you want to know what companies are not only likely to become clients, but likely to renew. And I think a lot of people forget forget to, to do that. And there's some structural stuff, like everywhere I've worked, obviously startups renew at lower rates than enterprises. Yeah. But even within, so you have to sub-segment, it's like even within the enterprise world, which ones are more likely to renew? Within the startup world, which ones are more likely to renew? So I think including factors in there uh, that are like retention aware will direct your salespeople to be prospecting the right accounts to begin with. And by the way, the salespeople appreciate that too, because there's definitely a correlation between winning deals and retaining deals. Yeah, absolutely. That's definitely a really great point. I think when it comes to account scoring and also I 100% agree, like it's super important to have that in the model is what are returning customers. And the other thing I'd probably add to it as well is not only what does the ideal customer look like, but which customers are converting best as well. So if you have a viewpoint of uh, what does conversion look like, what does retention look like, what does like the ideal customer makeup look like, then you get a, a quite a solid rounded view uh, of who these customers are and how you can actually maximize the time you're spending definitely it is interesting and it's not even that much more complicated to do as well if you're going through the hassle of building a model it's really just looking at another view on the data and then scoring that as well so it's 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 one more factor and and it's actually some data is hard to get that's an easy to get factor so yeah it's super easy exactly cool so i see we're running up on time going to save uh, the question and ask every guest but with a twist today so let's imagine a hypothetical scenario you join a new company you arrive churner retention is not doing great at this company the ceo comes to you and says hey jeremy we really need to turn things around fast we have 90 days obviously we we don't want you to go out and spend time speaking to customers we want to use your past experience you're going to make assumptions but what is one thing that you would tactically want to introduce at this company from your past experience to reduce churn and retention? Well, I'm going to cheat and I'm going to cheat in the following way, which is nothing I ever, I, I think very little of anything I ever do is original. So I, I listen to a, a whole bunch of your episodes and I'll just cite my favorite one, which is, I think if you have 90 days, I think the best thing that you can do is executive alignment. So get in there, make sure that you have, you have paired a peer exec from your company with a peer exec at at your customers and especially your either high risk or other or high value customers. So that would be that knowing nothing else, like not having the time to research, that would be the thing I would do would be executive alignment. And then if I were to take that executive alignment one step further, I would not only introduce like my internal peer executive to their peer executive, I would introduce like customer peer executives to each other. Because if I, I can add tremendous value by getting like my happy customers to talk to to other people. Yeah, absolutely. I love that as well. Like notion as well coming from like a customer advisory board, but it's not really about the feedback that you can give It's also what you can provide the board in terms of the networking opportunities to learn from one another to become. Uh, it, it really is. It's again, one of those areas where you're providing an added service around your service to educate. Out of that. And also, I think it ties back a little bit to your point earlier around alignment. And I actually really like the point, didn't touch on it in earlier, which was like making sure you don't only have alignment uh, within the company, but that your frontline managers as well themselves are, are super aligned. So obviously now we're talking about a cross company between execs, but even uh, playing back to that previous point, I think it's if you work within the company, everybody gets aligned around the problem and uh, you understand it. But if it's just coming from the top, so often like when we look at it and we say, okay, we need to have alignment from the top down in order to solve for general retention. But if you have that alignment and you still don't have it in the frontline managers, like for example, sales, like 
not selling to the wrong deals. They're just caring about yeah. the commissions. That's a problem. So yeah. I think having alignment across the board, whether it's like cross company internal, like I think that is like always going to be the greatest place uh, to start to have an impact. Yeah. I was going to add that the reason that when I heard that it resonated so deeply with me is I often ask people on the sales side, like why did, when they lose, I ask them, what's the deal that got away? And invariably, one of the, the deals that get away are ones where all the sort of user buyers and technical buyers and all that, they were all lined up. And then some exec swooped, the ultimate economic buyer swooped in and said no or went with a competitor. And it's the same thing in retention, which is CSMs are talking to the users, the, the power admins, the power users, but they're rarely talking to the economic buyer. And I think when you get, when you get a churn surprise, it's because you're some, the, the exec want, needed to cut budget or the exec wanted to switch because they went to play golf or whatever with back in pre-COVID times, but play golf with someone else. So I think that's why I think that resonated so deeply with me. Yeah. Uh, and especially for bigger accounts, I think it is a problem. It, I just laugh because it's something that happened to me just this week. Last question then as well. What's one thing you know today about churn and retention that you wish you knew when you got started with your career? Oh, goodness. I guess it's a secondary piece of that. But I'll, here's a mistake I made at one time. So I was telling you that story about Gartner, where we did like this statistical analysis of what we could do to drive retention. And I spent, I spent a ton of time building this really sophisticated statistical model to prioritize every account so that we would figure out like where to go to this one first, this one second. And I was sat down with my boss, Ken Davis at the time was is his name, brilliant, absolutely brilliant, MIT plasma physics PhD, who went on to McKinsey and then Gartner after that. And he said, hold on a second, do we need to prioritize? And I said, what do you mean? He said, maybe we could have the capacity to hit every customer. So I think that the thing that the learning, the, the sort of big aha there is that these are system problems. They're not like I was thinking uh, point related, like I was making all kinds of assumptions, but they're actually system problems. So yes, you need to figure out what you need to do. But I think that the other piece of that, the sort of aha was like, how do you think about solving this for everyone? That, that was the aha that I wish I had known earlier. To do it. Yeah. I think a lot of times like you just forget that there's people at the end of the points and the numbers. And this is one of the things like I, I was hitting up business intelligence at Hotshot and I was like advocating a lot to our analysts is get out and speak to customers. Like the data can only tell you so much, but if you can actually empathize with it, you can empathize with the data and like you might see something odd and not know what it's about. But if you've had customer conversations, you've actually been able to empathize and understand like that gives you the insights as well then to make a little bit better and informed decisions. So. Yeah, I, I know. I keep saying, and one more thing. So the end, <laughs> yeah, one more thing here is another book, Adam Grant's book, Give and Take, right? He did his early research work on customer and customer success environments. And he found that the biggest thing that helped was the people's motivation to help their customers. And the way the smart companies did that was to like bring customers in time from time to sell, tell their stories or to have pictures of customers in different places. Yeah, it is it like Super powerful. you absolutely cannot for, forget about how much how much motivation, intrinsic motivation matters. And one more thing before we end the show, obviously, I, I want to just give you the last opportunity. Is there any other final thoughts you want to uh, share with the guests? Is there anything they should be aware of from your work? Obviously, we will include links uh, to the books and uh, to anything mentioned in the show, but is there anything final that you'd like to leave the listeners with? 
I think maybe two things. One is if you enjoy podcasts and you want to hear a sales podcast, check out our podcast, Hey Salespeople. Uh, so I get to geek out there the same way you get to geek out with your guests. And nice. then the the other one is I love to connect with people on LinkedIn. So connect with me and I'm happy to accept your connection. And then I, I, I post kind of one factoid most days, not, not all days, but most days that is meant to be actionable and data-driven. So, um, but love to be connected. Very cool. There you have it. Uh, Jeremy, thank you so much uh, for joining. We obviously will keep notes as well in the show notes if you want to get up to speed with the podcast and anything else. I really appreciate joining. It was great having a conversation with you today. And thanks again so much for the feedback. Uh, any listeners out there, if you have any feedback, you want me to improve the show, like this is obviously something that I love. So please uh, keep it coming. Thanks for joining, Jeremy. Thanks, Andrew. Cheers. And that's a wrap for the show today with me, Andrew Michael. I really hope you enjoyed it and you're able to pull out something valuable for your business. To keep up to date with Churn.fm and be notified about new episodes, blog posts, and more, subscribe to our mailing list by visiting churn.fm. Also, don't forget to subscribe to our show on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you have any feedback, good or bad, I would love to hear from you. And you can provide your blunt, direct feedback by sending it to andrew at churn.fm. Lastly, but most importantly, if you enjoyed this episode, please share it and leave a review as it really helps get the word out and grow the community.